This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hello, Charles. Hello. So, talking about Attack the Block today, and it has a very original and unique practical effects monster throughout the whole film, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to know you, Charles, what real practical movie monster has stuck with you most throughout the years? What monster Mm. lasered itself into your brain when you saw it? Are we talking about like um, inhuman monsters or can we talk about like a humanoid thing that really kind of got in there? I'm going with whatever you want to go with. So what's the humanoid thing that that disturbed you? Oh, my God. Uh, Have you ever heard of Steve Beck's 13 Ghosts, the remake of the old cheesy 13 Ghosts? (laughs) Right. I'm going to frantically Google it right now. (laughs) The basic premise is right. Like these people go into a house and it's haunted by 13 ghosts. And you can only see it when you put these glasses on. Right. That allow you to, you know, perceive the ghost. And it was a whole gimmick back when the original came out. And in the uh, remake, uh, which came out back in 2001, um, it's just sort of like a plot device and a thing. Anyway, there's one ghost in particular who is called the angry princess. And she is like a plastic surgery, like gone awry kind of victim. And, She's literally just like a silent hill character who appears in a scene where she's just in the bathroom in a tub of blood and is the most terrifying thing. Like looking back at it now, it's like, oh, whatever. But as a child, truly, I was like too afraid to go into my own bathroom for months because of this thing. And it's just like it really is just like a woman with like a little bit of, um, you know, special effects makeup on. Like it's not all things said and done, not that like intricate, but like truly horrific. I remember the poster now I'm looking at it. I remember the poster scaring me as a kid oh, or yeah. as, as a youngin because I was frail and fragile. And now I'm looking at also this woman that you're talking about and I don't like her either. And I want to scrub my brain of this memory you've now given me. Listen, she scared Tony Shalhoub and she scared me. <laughs> she scared me. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about something else and go on the show, okay? Let's go. Welcome to The Real Canon, a new pod about the genre pop culture we all live, breathe, and hope make happen in real time. I'm Charles Pulliam Moore, writer and culture critic at io9. And I'm John Reisinger, content creator and producer for Rooster Teeth Productions. Today, we're talking about Attack the Block. Yeah, it's been 10 years since Joe Cornish's Attack the Block first crash-landed out of nowhere, seemingly, and introduced the world to John Boyega um, with an Attack the Block sequel on the way. We wanted to look back at the original and discuss what made it so easy for the film to become like an immediate cult classic and how it really catapulted John Boyega to a new level of stardom. But first, we're rolling into cannon fodder, our quick breakdown of an interesting news story that's caught our attention this week. Bad news, Charles. Bad news. What's the bad news? Bad news. Jupiter's legacy got canceled. Uh, So it's it's wild that this uh, happened. This news broke this week because we had previously discussed whether or not we wanted to talk about Jupiter's legacy. (laughs) And we both said, all right, like, uh, we'll go watch the series and uh, talk in a little bit and see how we feel. And it was the rare, like, it was the rare instance where we both came back with just like an immediate huh mm. <laughs> i see we actually came back with two very different experiences i you, came like, back you you would you watched the whole thing i watched the whole thing and i don't my here's I, let, 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 let me let me clarify my huh was like you told me like i watched it and i'm like 
how 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 how, how and why because there's so much of it and it's, it's a it, lot it, it, it was it, well, i mean like for for the people who don't know what we're talking about uh, jupiter's legacy was an adaptation of mark miller's comic by the same name um that's basically about a world in which um superheroes exist um your basic uh, pantheon of uber types uh, you've got your flyers your bruisers um they protect the world and uh the comic is set at a point in time when a lot of them have kids and the kids who are coming up are assholes right and it becomes a battle between the generations <laughs> and it's you know it's it, the premise is like okay sure like let's let's see what this is but the whereas the comic sort of tapped into a very sort of like um, I think a very particular kind of energy that resonated with young readers about hostility towards a, like not necessarily towards their parents, but towards authority who were trying sure. to like mold them. But the comic also was sort of an exploration about the deep existential fear that parents and older people have about the young generation. Right. It was doing a lot of interesting things. And the show, all of all of the parts are there, you know, all of the characters are there and there's quite a bit more backstory in the past. But it felt so like why you know everything from i remember my first thing was like oh the crotches on everyone's costumes are so weirdly pointy in a way that makes me think to myself like did anyone did anyone look at this did anyone look at this and think to themselves maybe we shouldn't do it like this and there was just so much about the show that just did not seem um finished right like it all seemed like it needed a, a few more a few more passes yeah i don't know where this crazy budget for this show went because it was because it's 200 million dollars which is it, quite a bit of money that's a lot of money for a show um and it it doesn't deliver very much in like the even the flashy parts of these shows that can kind of like distract you from like bad writing or pacing mm. or editing like the action's not even good but everything about this felt so um, the, the movie that came to mind for me was like Sky High, the Disney movie. Um, everything about like, and I, and, I, and I don't say that, and I don't really say that disparagingly because I think Sky High is a bit of a cult classic. But it is. Whereas that sort of understood how to lean into a campiness to um, make up yeah. for the cheapness of every, the way everything looked, this takes itself very seriously. And it's like, we can basically see the wires. Um, what was really interesting about this cancellation announcement, though, um, is that Jupiter's Legacy being a part of like Mark Miller's world, Mark Miller years ago, signed um, an overall deal with Netflix uh, that was sort of designed to bring his Miller verse to life um, through adaptations and a comic book that you could get through Netflix somehow at one point. I'm not really sure how that worked. Um, and this announcement, Mark Miller was like, we're really sad uh, that, you know, we are freeing this entire cast um, of their obligations. So Netflix intended for this to be a multi-season thing. Oh, yeah. You know, and they said, oh, the, the entire original cast is um, going and we're pivoting to another series of minds set in this same world, but from the villain's perspective. And what was so strange about that is like, what makes you think that just making this about the villains is going to work? Obviously, yeah. like the um, obviously, I feel like whatever comes next has to sort of really do a lot of work to avoid um, the mistakes that Jupiter's legacy made, because as I don't, I don't want to call it bad, but it's sort of like lackluster as I found it. It, the issues with it weren't really the story exactly, you know, and I don't think that reworking the story is necessarily what would have made it stronger. No, the issues, the issues bled into every aspect of production. Yeah, it just felt like an overall like, wow, there's a lot that's not working here. And like I this is this is nitpicky, but even just on this simple of a level, did anybody look at fits and go, 
him in old makeup. That that looks like an old man. That looks mm-hmm. like an old black man, mm. and not a child in old man makeup and some some silver hairspray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the little. I mean, it's. I feel like we're at a point now in this genre of storytelling where if you're going to make something that tracks along um, a lot of uh, archetypical um, story beats and character types, um, you really do have to sort of set yourself apart in uh the minutiae right the thing like the either the conceit of the story or some of the world building that yeah you, do. you gotta have you gotta have your hook yeah and the th- like i think about invincible right because a lot of the issues that i had with um with jupiter's legacy uh the comic i also had with invincible the comic right it's like oh you're telling this very particular kind of story yes. about like superman types who was like oh what if superman had a family and the family had problems oh yes. my god right but what invincible does it's like all right but like let's sort of take this to an interesting logical endpoint that exists in a more concrete space beyond like what if generations didn't get along and it's like yeah what if (laughs) that's such a that is such a you know it's a big it's a big weighty question but it's not something that really lends itself necessarily to the most compelling um superhero drama in a in in a a market that's saturated with superhero dramas you know yeah i I guess i'm i'm kind of just like i'm surprised that netflix canceled it because netflix has approved a lot of bad ideas and has continued a lot of bad shows and so considering this one actually like got really good like nielsen ratings and was had like watch time was in the crazy numbers it was critically reviewed terribly um and and that must have been the the sinker in it that they were like well if people didn't like this even like because people can watch it one time and they go i didn't like that you're probably not going to get them to come back i guess netflix has that that wherewithal to know like okay we should not move forward with another 200 million dollar plus uh season two um but yeah i don't have high hopes for more miller world stuff we shall see call me a negative nancy that's just (laughs) where i land but you know what i did like i like to tack the block let's talk about that movie let's So if you don't know what Attack the Block is, it is a, uh, a cult classic, uh, Charles called it out, uh, indie hit that came out in 2011 mm-hmm. that uh, killed it at uh, Sundance. Um, it's made, it was directed by a uh, South London director named Joe Cornish, um, was the breakout film for John Boyega um, playing a 15-year-old uh, named Moses, who's part of a, a young uh, street gang in South London. And the whole movie is around the idea of what happens if a alien invasion happens in a rough part of town in South London. Mm. Run with it. Mm. Um, and it worked uh, across the board. Uh, the, the movie is just made with intent and, and near perfection all the way from the casting to the performances to the, the creature itself to um, the the social commentary cues that it hits on it's 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 a fantastic movie um that luckily now 10 years later has been greenlit for a sequel mm. that is set to probably come out uh somewhere not till like about 2023 we're thinking um but we i i like the movie a ton and and charles finally watched it and so we want to talk about it 
I mean, yeah. So Attack the Block is one of those movies that had sort of existed in the ether for me um, because I had just missed like it when it came out um, back in my Tumblr days. But, you know, you see the gift sets and it's like, oh, yeah, John Boyega running from um, the dust mites from <laughs> Spirited Away. And that's got to be interesting. And I thought to myself, I'll get around to watching it um, eventually. And it has recently hit a number of streaming services. I think I watched it on HBO Max, but it's now on Tubi. Um, and just sort of sat down thinking to myself, all right, like, let's see what all the fuss is about. Um, yeah. And this was at um, the point when John Boyega was already done with his tenure uh, in Star Wars um, and had sort of been um, shifting into a new phase of his fame where he was using uh, the Star Wars platform to sort of talk about his experiences as an actor, both within the franchise and sort of within the industry as a whole. Um, and so going out and just wanting to consume more of John Boyega's work, I'm like, let's start here. Um, partially good because call. good call. It, well, yeah, because it's, you know, it's the thing that made him big here, mm -hmm. um, sort of an international name. And it just even from afar, not knowing all that much about the plot, you can see how attack the block worked as the vehicle that put him on the map that, you know, on Disney's map rather that was like, Oh, you like this, this, this man, yes. you know, can become a new pillar of uh, this next legacy, this next, uh, uh, part of the Star Wars uh, franchise. So sitting down to watch Attack the Block, it's like um, I, 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 the the way that you describe the film, it's like that is technically accurate, but it's like it's not just an alien invasion no. hitting like South London. It's like it's an alien invasion that's you know it's happening everywhere. But the movie just happens to focus you know in this one particular neighborhood and what it does so well, wait 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 yeah do, do we does the movie ever express that the invasion's happening elsewhere other than the london area my so the thing is i went into this assuming so like why would they just happen to send um like why would they happen to send uh i'm not sure what you would call them leader planes just to south london my assumption is always when there's an alien invasion that it's happening worldwide that it wouldn't okay. necessarily just be right because i think to myself um where does the assumption that it's only happening in london come from i think part of that is like we are so used to these things being about like the US where it's like, ah, well, it's only happening to us. I'm thinking to myself, well, the, the, the real magic of this movie, the thing that really sort of makes it so interesting is that the camera sort of works to lead you to start to think to yourself, all right, like, let's think about this scenario that we are all familiar with from this genre of movie, right? Alien invasion, the world is unprepared and yet humanity rises up with what they have to fend the aliens off. We're so used to seeing this from the perspective of um, like military veterans, um, you know, grizzled, uh, grizzled middle aged men living in the middle of nowhere who are just trying to protect their families. And this film's like, all right, but like, let's assume that this this invasion is happening the world over. What like what are these like what are these working class poor kids from South London up to? Like, how do they deal with yeah. it? Joe Cornish actually saw M. Night Shyamalan signs and that was actually the inspiration for it. Was that, you know, he's like, well, so this is what happens when uh, the farmer is dealing with the alien invasion. So he's like, exactly. He, he was he was a director from South London. So he applied it to his world. And I love that. I love that as just sort of like a jumping off point. 
um, that shows the way in which like a particular premise can be used to like to tell a broad swath of stories. And it doesn't have to. I think a lot of the way that we talk about Attack the Block and its social commentary comes from obviously like the way that the script is written, but a lot of like what we bring to the film, um, a lot of what the characters like Moses um, are saying, a lot of it is just them speaking honestly about the Mm -hmm. world that they are living in in a Mm -hmm. way that definitely reads as like not preachy but it's sort of like it's uh, messagey to the audience but in a very i think the thing that really makes it resonate the thing that made it resonate with me rather is like that just read as authentic right yeah Um, child honesty yeah like not even just child honesty but rather young men young men who are perceived as being dangerous both because of their race and their class um, who, despite all of the assumptions that people make about them, have a very nuanced and well-informed worldview, right? That yeah. sort of guides a lot of the way that they interact with each other and the way that they interact with like people who they perceive as outsiders, like Jody uh, Whitaker's character. Yeah. And that sort of, a lot of times we sort of, um, we reduce that to the phrase like, oh, street smarts. But it's like, no, they're just like, they are just conscious people who, you know, exist in the world and they have like full rich lives that we don't necessarily always get to see uh, depicted on screen, particularly in yeah. stories like this. Um, but once the movie sort of establishes that, it sort of really gets to the point quite quickly, both I think as a function of budget, um, but also because it doesn't feel the need to constantly be like, see, see working, I was like, see middle, middle, middle class people. Like you need to understand like that there's heart in, you know, the projects, the movie's like, all right, listen, if you get it, you get it, come along. Um, and you know, come on this ride with us. Yeah. It, you, you almost actually forget a lot about it during like the middle section of the movie. Cause at the beginning, like you're, you're introduced to these very quote unquote tough kids and they're, they're led by the eldest and, and biggest and toughest, you know, uh, uh, John Boyega's character, Moses. And then as they're, you know, you, you're kind of learning more and more about their situation and their lives and, and the way that they speak and the way they interact with each other and all that kind of stuff. But then as the movie ramps up and turns into this like survival, you know, scenario with them dealing with these aliens that are constantly finding and hunting them for some mm-hmm. reason, it ramps up in action and, and, and you kind of get kind of swept up in that. But then the movie finds those authentic moments at, at very poignant times. There's, there's this scene near the end of the film where Moses brings uh, Jodie Whittaker's character to his house. And this, this is the first time that we, we get like, we've, we've seen like a lot of the backstory of the other boys. Like we've seen into their homes mm. and we've even seen maybe relatives of them and that kind of thing, or them interacting with their parents and that kind of stuff. But this is the first time we've finally seen Moses's world and there's this great moment where she sees a room that is clearly set up for a child mm. and she assumes that he has a little brother and he goes, no, that's my room. And that's when you're reminded as an audience that like Moses, he, he even says, he's like, he's 15 and it, it, it slaps you in the face, but then they slap you again when she says, oh, I thought you were older. And he says, thanks. Because he's like, that's also reminding the audience that that is a, a point of like necessity he has seen that he, he that is valuable to him in his station where him seeming older and more you know uh, uh powerful is is a tool that he needs to have for 
his circumstances. That's definitely one way to interpret it. But that exchange, um, that exchange, I definitely read that way, you know, more differently. I think that Share. if anything, that was more sort of a commentary on this idea that um, white women like Jodie Whittaker's character, Samantha, um, it's very easy for them um, to uh, look at black boys like John Boyega's character as full grown men. Yeah. Um, and while that, while you can attribute that to like, you know, the way that Moses carries himself, um, the movie also, you know, does go out of its way to explain to you that Samantha's not an idiot, right? She can use her powers of perception to understand that Moses, someone who is hanging out with children, is also a child himself, right? But she just makes assumptions. She makes the assumption. And I mean, I think that the movie, you know, doubles back on this in a really subtle but like pointed way um, when, goodness, what is the character's name? I think it's Pest. Um, when he's like hitting on Samantha and she's talking yeah. about how her boyfriend's off in Africa. And he's like, oh, like, you know, your your boyfriend couldn't be bothered to come here and care about the children living in Britain. And it's, you know, <laughs> it's both, you know, it's both like a joke about white people doing, you know, that kind of social work yeah. tourism abroad. But it's also like you are literally in a room full of children right now. You, a nurse in training, are sitting with children in the middle of an alien invasion. And you your, your inability to perceive that sort of um, is really making you sort of the weak link on the team right now. So chop, chop, cap, cap. But it, it's it's it like I think you, you you nailed it when you said that the 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 movie uh, uh, acrobatically stays away from being preachy and 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 it has its moments, but then doesn't like doesn't swell into these moments and doesn't uh you know there's no point where you're watching the film where you feel like everybody in the movie is turning and looking at you in the audience being like, yeah, you get it now. It's, it's- uh, here's the thing. It's not preaching. When I say preachy, I mean like not verbally. I do think that scenes like, um, goodness, it's towards the end of the movie. Um, it's an echoing shot. So early early in the film, there's a moment where Moses is trying to get on the elevator and a white person nearby reacts negatively to his presence because she's like, oh, he's going to jack me. And, you know, to be, you know, uh, fair point, you know, he they are out there jacking people, but they don't necessarily know that. Um, Later on in the film, there is a particularly pointed moment where you see the gangster hi-hats come out of an elevator sort of covered in blood um, Mm -hmm. after you are led to believe that he might have gotten got by some of the aliens. And that particular shot, you know, it is not just, you know, my read of it was not that it was just to sort of show you how formidable a fighter hi-hats was. But it's like, no, 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 like, please do pay attention to these, you know, to the to this moment that is shot very much like a music video, where you see um, a black man. Um, I'm not sure how old Hi Hats is compared to Moses. He, I thought, I, I, he play, he plays like in his 20s. Compared I thought to he was like a little bit teenagers. older, but it, you know, but it is like look at this man covered in blood. You don't know what happened, but we know what your assumption is. And I think that in that moment, you know, Hi Hats is both supposed to be you know, the specter of the scary black man that people like Samantha grow to like, you know, are socialized to fear. Yeah. Um, but the movie in that moment, it's not just being like, here's the villain of the film. It is making you sort of look directly at what the idea is and sort of make you sit with your feelings. And um, I think like the film, it's in, in not being preachy. It's not telling you exactly what to what you should be thinking. But in putting moments like that, 
um, in the spotlight and really slowing down to center them, it is definitely inviting you to think about them more. Yeah, I guess it's, it's I guess it's probably comes down to maybe our different uh, experiences, interpretations as even of the word preachy means. And mm. I guess more so I'm leaning towards like it doesn't it doesn't force feed anything um like there are, it, there it, are no captain there are no falcon and the winter soldier moments where like speeches yeah. are given. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no no one no one uh does no one monologues you know uh no there's no point where the music tries to to you know cue you to think that this is a a moment you should be very sad um it's and and the, and the movie itself is extremely fast-paced um very fast dialogue um it it, it it's only 88 minutes long, which I love. I love when a movie's like, let's get in, let's get out. It's fantastic. This episode of The Real Canon is sponsored by Codecademy. There's never been a better time to become a programmer, and with Codecademy, you can learn to code on your own terms, whether you're starting from scratch or looking to advance. Simply put, Codecademy is the best way to learn to code online. They not only teach you job-ready coding skills, but also help you build unique projects for your portfolio, earn certificates, and even prep for technical interviews. There's also a whole section in Code Academy that I'm super excited about, which is game development. They teach you um, the basics of PhaserJS, HTML5. I've always been very interested in game development, and so if you want to join me there, we can learn how to make video games together. You can also get qualified for in-demand jobs in as little as two months. Code Academy lets you learn at your own pace and your own level. Join the millions of people learning to code with Codecademy and see where coding can take you. Get 15% off your Codecademy Pro membership when you go to codecademy.com and use promo code CANON. That's promo code C-A-N-O-N at codecademy.com to get 50% off of your Codecademy Pro. The best way to learn to code, C-O-D-E-C-A-D-E-M-Y.com, promo code CANON. Thank you, Codecademy, for sponsoring this episode of The Real Canon. And now, back to the show. I was actually watching some of the uh, behind the scenes stuff of the film and uh, they th- that was a big part of the production of it was them like really trying to nail the high energy and fast pace of what's going on. And, and the kids, you know, are obviously very talented at doing that. But uh, I, I think that pacing can also help you not like get wrapped up in your own moments Um like a, like a, like a Zack Snyder who gets wrapped up in every moment he has. <laughs> it's interesting that you you brought up signs earlier. Now it's been so long since I've seen signs, but I remember that comparatively feeling like such a slow sort of tense movie because there's a lot of hiding, right? There's a, yeah, lot, a lot of, of tension. You, you know, there's not all. It's a lot of like, oh, we don't know exactly what yeah. the aliens look like. And this does, you know, Attack the Block does something similar, but rather than fully hiding what they look like, it's like no, they're just like a mob of mouths that va- that are, you know, that vaguely, you know, gallop like gorillas. Um, but Signs is so... Mm, I, I, I definitely enjoy the film, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to like trace the through line between the two in terms of like their approaches to action. Um, because I do think that like in breaking away from that, in breaking away from that, do you know what's going on? And focusing on that, yes, you know exactly what's going on and you're going to, your mind is already working to see how the kids are going to like dodge the aliens. That makes the film feel so much more. I think that's what makes it easy. I think that's what's made it really easy for the film to like keep 
having this fan base that grows, even though it's, you know, over a decade old, there is an immediate, like in its immediacy, it feels like something current, if that makes any sense. Whereas sure. like the drawn outness of a, of a, of a signs, you're like, Oh, I know this movie didn't come out recently. And the movie's like, yeah, and we're going to take our time to get there. And you're like, okay, all right, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, I th- I th- uh, M night was obviously, I think trying to do something more Hitchcocky and where he was like, it's scarier when you don't see it. <laughs> um, which, which does work. Like, like the, uh, talking about, uh, I talked about at the top of the show, like, uh, like any sort of a, a creature that stood out to you. Um, I remember seeing signs by myself in the movie theater and mm. the scene where uh, Joaquin Phoenix is in the closet and they, 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 he's watching the TV set of the kids having the birthday party and they're saying the, the aliens there when the alien does that just quick little walk across the camera and Joaquin freaks out, like still chills, still chills. It's great. It's a great moment. Um, and it, and it can mean it can make you have a you know experience a lot when you um, don't see the monster very much. Um, but this movie, like you said, doesn't do that. Like it kind of revs up within the first, I don't know, like 20, 30 minutes, and you're already seeing the monsters killing people. Yeah. Um, which gives it more of a, a creature feature kind of feel, which is just another genre of this kind of stuff. And and I I I love those kinds of movies. I like this movie didn't um shy away from being that kind of thing, even being like a bit of a of a graphic one i mean there's, oh yeah yeah there's like blood gore guy gets his throat ripped out like several child's lo- children lose their heads like that <laughs> happens and, and doesn't one kid um uh, i won't spoil it but i feel like there is a squitching popping noise and you're just like oh wow oh yeah oh, there's yeah. there's there's some foley work that goes with some of the stuff like there's, that is but here's the thing like the foley work in this movie fantastic fantastic and as much as the as uh, I'm not going to say, I, I don't know the, what the VFX budget on it was, but. Well, the, sh- the you want to know the budget of the movie entirely? It Go was ahead. Eight million pounds. Now, see, like <laughs> my conversion uh, ability uh, is non-existent, so I'm not even going to try it. But like, I feel like that's cheap. It's cheap. Um, it's it's I mean, it's an indie film. That's an indie film budget, you know, and it's but it's it's like all of that budget went to all of the right places. There's yeah. so much there's so much focus put on style and detail and oftentimes you know style can get in the way of substance which i think you know is a big trap that a lot of genre work tends to fall into sometimes you get a little too caught up in the premise and don't really work on the story but in every facet of this film from the cinematography to the lighting to the foley design it all just feels like it fits together so perfectly to tell this story that even it, it, even though it feels like such a, a classic story that, you know, we're all sort of vaguely familiar with just from exposure to things, it feels like such a solid reinvention of it, right? Because of the yeah. vision, the, the vision that it's executed with is just so like on point. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely can, ex- can speak to from, from personal experience of like, I get that when you're in these indie film settings, um, you're working with a very small budget, but often if you can get the right team mm-hmm. uh, built around these movies, like everyone is just doing their best to make the best movie. Um, and everyone is working like crazy, you know, like this is a night shoot movie. These people were like nocturnal for at least a, <laughs> a, a few months. Yeah. Um, and, but, it, but everyone's like just doing their best. It, clearly even watching like behind the scenes stuff, like everyone's excited to be part of it. The kids are having the best time of their lives. Like they're so excited to be in a movie. A lot of them, it's their first film. And even like seasoned people that are on it, like Nick Frost, who who plays uh, a weed dealer in it, like he's even just having the best of time and working with the kids. He even at they even had one segment where they were showing how like 
there was a scene that they couldn't get the energy up that they wanted. And so, and because the kids just weren't given the deliveries that they needed. And so Nick like offered out this idea of a uh, theater uh, game where everybody just speed reads the scene <laughs> and just uh, tries to, it's like a game. Like you try to just read as fast as possible. And that just kind of gets the, uh, the woodenness out of it. And it was just kind of cool to see that kind of stuff. And not that anybody wants to like make those kinds of movies forever. No one wants to like, make minimal budget movies forever because they're hard as hell <laughs> um but if done right they're where they are where these gems are you know come out of and and speaking of gems i want to talk more about john boyega i mean so like we in talking about how attack the block was an indie film we have to talk about you know like after this he goes on to start making films that are decidedly not indie films um obviously the the most prominent of them um, is the Star Wars franchise where he played Finn. And in Finn, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Of course, Disney, a Disney exec saw Attack the Block and said, oh, yes, we can do that. We can do that. But the the sword will glow instead. And uh, they will be in <laughs> He does space. have a sword. He does have a sword in he, Attack the Block. And uh, he will be paired up with another white British woman who will speak with her, her British <laughs> accent. You're um, making connections. You I know, make. it's all very, it's all very, it's all, listen, listen, I feel like these are the kinds of things that we should all be thinking about when, uh, when casting announcements come out. Um, but in, um, in Finn, you can see so much of the potential for the expansion of the kind of character Moses was, right? Um, Moses, everything from his name to the, um, the position that he plays, uh, in the neighborhood is almost messianic, right? You yes. know, he is, uh, the chosen one, uh, who almost, he does some things to save some people, and that was definitely a lot of the subtext built into Finn. And I think everyone listening to this podcast by now um, is familiar with uh, the, the, the the basics of what happened uh, with Finn in um, the previous three Star Wars films. Um, everyone thought More it was like what didn't happen. Hey, am I right? Um, but I mean, <laughs> what we're talking about, obviously, is the way in which after uh, Finn was initially really sort of framed as being um, perhaps the star of uh, the new um, franchise, maybe a new Jedi, someone who would play a more prominent role. Um, he became right. more of a supporting character um, in um, uh, The Rise of Skywalker um, in a way that a lot of fans, when the film came out, voiced as being sort of disappointing, um, uh, both because it really let down their expectations about what the character uh, had in store for them, but it also sort of seemed like um, Disney capitulating to a lot of the negative backlash yeah. that John Boyega received um, almost immediately after he was cast. Um, we uh, this is not a, this is not all a Star Wars podcast right here, but I think that. Uh, we were talking about this earlier, how uh, a lot of the beef with John Boyega did boil down to his being um, a black person in the yeah. Star Wars franchise. Um, and while a lot of there are a lot of ways in which you can articulate why that is. But I think that one of the more pervasive reasons why is because the Star Wars franchise has been predominantly white for the whole of its existence. Right. Um, yes, there are you know, there are, are exceptions. Everyone knows Mace Windu. Everyone knows Lando Calrissian. Um, but they are these larger than life black figures uh, who are just dropped in ever so ever so slightly every now and then to be like, hey, hey, remember, see? And then they, yeah. you know, end up not really factoring into the main story. And that did very much seem to be the case um, with Finn. 
Um, and after the most recent film um, came out, John Bugega was like, aha, I'm not doing this anymore, and has really been sort of open and honest about the frustrations that he had, um, both in receiving a lot of that backlash and feeling as if he, like Kelly Marie Tran, um, who played Rose Tico in the films, did not initially receive a lot of support from the studio. Um, when it came to dealing with that backlash, um, dealing with things like Finn's image being uh, made smaller on the posters in certain markets to make it, you know, to downplay his significance in the film. All of these little things that, um, from Boyega's perspective, uh, definitely cast a shadow over his Star Wars experience. And, you know, he's been talking about it, which I think is something, I, I think that's really interesting and really sort of important. You know, that's sort of, what is the point of becoming? Um, what is the point of becoming involved in one of these franchises if not to bring something new to it, and then to use your platform to sort of really advocate for uh, the betterment of the franchise and the industry as a whole? Yeah, it's 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 part of this like like uh, again, we're not a uh, a Star Wars podcast, but we are a podcast all about like fandom's uh, relationship with the mm. material. Yeah, and. Star Wars is a great example of where the 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 sequels sequel trilogy are a great example of the Star Wars company um, taking steps to uh, uh, progress the the films in ways of not just hiring more and more white people to be these this entire white world of Star Wars and 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 going out of the way to find talented. Um, uh, young men who are, are who you know can have shown off uh, their skills like you know it's not you know completely uh, out of the norm that they that these companies go and find these indie uh, actors or even indie directors mm. and and then put them in these big franchise opportunities mm. um, it's 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 a great way to find new talent you know um, and and they they obviously got John and and worked with him and and, and got and and Force Awakens you know set him up to be something of this like this like trilogy or or, or the, uh, like this trio of characters like him and Ray and and uh, Poe uh, Poe and then you know and then the the audience gets involved with the conversation after Force Awakens comes mm. out and of a generally. Uh, positively, you know, reviewed movie Force Awakens. One of the, you know, the 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 pop marks was people's view of like Finn and the, like how he portrayed a stormtrooper and how he um uh fit in with the group and and him, you know, his his ending in the movie. And then I don't even feel like Ryan Johnson responded to that very much with his film. Um, in the in a negative way, I think Ryan Johnson continued to try to. He's like, we're just going to put Finn on. He's just going to have adventures. He's just going to go and be a person in this world in a way that felt at least close enough to the central plot to, you know, really make him, you know, an iconic part of that trio. But then but then the audience must have gotten too loud. And, uh, you know, that was when they brought back JJ and JJ and his crew at some point just really decided they didn't want, you know, John to be John in the film um and or to to have you know that fulfillment and uh it's in in rewatching attack the block it really brings back to light like wasted potential that like uh john boyega and attack the block acts like someone who's been doing it for 60 years yeah and it's sort of like 
Disney could have easily just wanted Finn always to be a smaller character, but it just doesn't feel that way. You know, it's in watching Attack the Block, there is such a gravitas and just weight to Boyega's performance that it is hard to believe that you watch that and then the next thing that you want to cast him in is to sort of be um, support. And even if that is, you know, what the instinct is, then the question is, well, why? You know, like, why not give him the opportunity to sort of be the hero um, in a way that doesn't ultimately get sidelined for a rather convoluted plot about ridiculous parentage, you know, that seems unnecessary. It's, it's, it all just sort of seemed like, oh, okay, like you really had something, you had something particularly prime here um, that could have really brought in, I feel like a much larger, <laughs> a much larger new um, fan base. Um, but out of all of this, good has come, I think. Um, Boyega, in speaking more recently, um, has talked about how, as a consequence of his being open about the kinds of difficult conversations that he's had to have um, with film studios, other actors have been able to look and point to his example, um, other black actors in particular, and be like, all right, listen, like, let's actually have these conversations. Why doesn't my character get to have a moment where you know, they have a soliloquy or a speech that gets to show off what I offer as an actor besides my face and my ability to add representation to the cast, right? Um, exactly. sort of, it's sort of what we, you were talking about earlier. Um, you cast, cast people of color in movies, great, great. That's step one, right? That's what, rather than, <laughs> that is literally one of the steps. All right, stay with me, that's step one, right. okay. <laughs> step one, two, the black character actually has to have something to do. Three, that thing that they do has to be something of significance. You know what I mean? Like it's, and these are, it's easy to make it seem like, oh, you're asking for too many things. But the reality is, is that that is the care and attention um, that is often given to white characters all the time, right? And a lot of the energy that John Boyega has been bringing to his public interviews has just really boiled down to that. Like, give me a chance to show off the way that my co-stars do, you know, it's the, a, it's the same thing. A lot of the queer community is asking for the exact same thing. Yep. I'm just like, it's really just about, Hey, like, let me, can I get a chance to like really show off? Like not, not show. Like, can I, can I really get a chance to show you what I can do besides what's, just what's, what's the, the act, the, the actor's name, uh, from pose, uh, Matt Gallup, beautiful dresses every single time. Billy Porter. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I watched the interview with him and he was talking about that, I got the name of the show right. I had not seen it. Pose, right? Yeah, Pose. His, yeah. He talks about how it was a round table and he talked about how before getting that role, he was like ready to quit because no one was taking him seriously. No one was giving a, a gay black man roles or serious roles or writing roles for him. And he was on the brink of just like of signing off from, you know, acting for forever. And Pose was like, the saving grace that stopped that from happening. And it's, and it, yeah. it was to, to, to hear how he said it, it, it broke my heart watching the interview to, to see this, like this, this beautifully and talented man, like to hear that he was like, going to just go back into the shadows and, and Dude, not work anymore. Literally this week, um, another, uh, another interview with Billy Porter came out where he talked about how Stephen Sondheim, the writer of um, Into the Woods, uh, brought him in and had him sing for the role of the witch, the role that went oh, to no. Meryl Streep eventually in the film. And Stephen Sondheim, or rather, I'm not sure, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm sorry, I don't think this was for the film. I think this might have actually just been for um, a live production. Um, okay. Basically, TLDR, there was, there, was, there was an opportunity for Billy Porter to play the witch um, in, in Into the Woods. Truly, just like the most obvious casting um, 
you could ever imagine. Um, but the producers <laughs> ultimately said no because the idea of having a gay black man play the witch was, you know, considered too risque. And it's it, it, it's easy it's easy to sort of um, to sort of pretend that these two situations are different. Um, the, you know, <laughs> Billy Porter not being cast as a witch and Finn not being you know being a Jedi in um, in the most recent Star Wars trilogy. But it, they both are instances of someone who has a clearly proven and demonstrated talent um feeling you know being passed over for something that not only were they qualified to do but ultimately would have made the thing feel like much more uh, much more vital and much more interesting um than what ultimately came out um you know i there there are things to like about the the most recent star wars films um but in terms of <laughs> what a rave review, what a rave review. I love like I love Ray's new lightsaber. I'm gonna type that for Rotten Tomatoes right now. Ray's new lightsaber is <laughs> golden. That's real cool. She's fly. Um, <laughs> but in but when it comes to when it comes to when it comes to Finn though, um, in terms of what I was really hoping to see uh, for growth from him, um, uh, I was ultimately disappointed. But everything about Boyega's resolve and you know his uh you know his ascent to this new space makes me really excited for what attack the block 2 is going to be right you know we spend a lot of time talking about how you know the first movie was so great um in spite of slash because of its budget um yeah. but i think that attack the block is the kind of tightly executed indie that it's like okay yeah 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 put more money into this like make this bigger like i want to see what all else you can do in this world because yeah if anything, I another another small story in this world. It would have to be about new people in order to be interesting. But as a progression of Moses's story, you got to go bigger for it. And like, yeah, I'm ready for it. So we can't talk about this movie for forever, but I do want to talk about why and how we should be putting in more and more puppets and practical effects into <laughs> movies. Um, I know it it's it's beautiful when we see the digital characters come to life on the film. It can be great. I've seen Lord of the Rings. Gollum's amazing. Um, but there are there's a time and place for practical effect monsters and the time is now and the place is in any movie you can get people <laughs> to do it. Um, yeah. because the monsters in this are fantastic. They're great and there is something that is lost when monster movies that are about aliens end up being more sort of about like laser gunfights you know that's such um that's such a hmm. it makes it less visceral you know it's sort of like there's something about the thing that really makes this uh work so well is that the kids the weapons that they have it's just like crap that they you know have laying around you know the one yeah, kid yeah, yeah, the yeah. one kid fought like <laughs> fills up um a water gun with some kind of alcohol or some kind of lighter fluid and they set one on fire and it's like yeah, yeah. like that that's exactly what a precocious child it's very would home do. alone it's very you know? home alone but it's like we all we, we all remember home alone because it's like yeah like that's that's feasible <laughs> as opposed to like yeah and that's my neighbor who happens to like be fully strapped with a full arsenal it's like all right sure um I, in working with puppets i think opens up a lot more opportunity for you to give um the actors an opportunity to deliver yes. better performances yes. you know because even if you know that it's just um a person 
in some trash bags, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with some fur on them. Um, the size does something. I'm thinking specifically yeah. about that one scene where you get it's it's partially obscured. Right. There's the monster is behind the car and it drops down and gets this guy up against the wall. Yeah. And the guy is, you know, he's huge. But you just see this thing like just yank him to the ground. And yeah. what I love I lo- it's it is the magic of puppetry because it, it is just like a puppet show. Like you got a little stage blocking and you see the moving up top, but the the speed at which he like hits the ground and you hear the thumps and you hear the foley work and you're just like, oh yeah, see that's terror. That's the kind of thing that'll make people with guns run away. Where it's like, no 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 no, your bullets are not going to work. Yeah, it's it's the difference between like moments like that where you get you can get authentic you know reactions and emotions and people you know in the moment um, playing around with the space that they have to work with, and then it's like those behind the scenes shots of like Hayden Christensen and, and and all of them just bouncing around in a blue playground um trying to act like they're dodging lava and blades there's and stuff. a reason and, that those gifts of you and mcgregor are memes you know <laughs> <laughs> like there's great moments in the prequels and i actually do have a soft spot for certain parts of the prequels but there's but practical stuff can really help with that raw emotion and really can even help the audience have that reaction as well it's why it's why like alien works it's why that movie works so well right and so even is though that, the, even though the xenomorph is like lumbering you're like oh but look at it look at it you couldn't possibly just shoot that thing whereas i think the the veneer the fantasy veneer of cg it always does make it easier for you to believe like oh yeah like it could be destroyed you know yeah it, it's it it also yeah it, it gets it gets so much more grounded in a reality that you can place yourself in mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. you know it's like people watching like the thing it's like that's that's haunting and horrifying to watch that movie because when you see like that stomach eat that man's hand oh it's <laughs> it's just the worst thing in the world i also think that there's something really sort of like baseline it's like <laughs> when i say base i mean like when like a, a a practical monster like dies in something i'm thinking about the um i think it's the female that they find in this yeah. um when like a monster like just dies and then it's a little puppet and you put it on your backpack <laughs> there is a way in which your mind is like oh yeah it's that same thing whereas when there there's something about like um dead cgi aliens where i always think to myself they they they're just new ones that have been drawn in to fit the perspective of the camera Whereas yeah. there's something about, I guess it's like there's this weird object permanence about like a, a practical monster where it's just like, oh yeah, like that's that thing that ex- yeah. exists in physical space. Like I get it. There's, there's plenty of scenarios where you just, this is not possible. Like, like things like Starship Troopers, you could not pull it off, stuff like that. <laughs> Mars attack um, wouldn't work. But <laughs> Mars attack wouldn't work and that kind of thing. But when you can pull it off and, and when like indie you know films do this or even when like big budget films like yeah, we, we, were talking, well, we were talking about when we were talking about independence day earlier it's like the the scariest scenes it's not when they're out in space shooting the ships it is when they are in that operating room cutting the carapace of that one thing open and ugh. I hate that scene I hate it's that so scene. good it's so good um but i was gonna say even like uh recently denis villeneuve uh worked with miniatures for blade runner 2049 mm. there was no reason that man had to do miniatures for stuff um, but he wanted like practical effect moments to, to, to help portray the realism of this like uh, world that he was building. And so that's another case of like practical effects that can be used in your favor. Now it doesn't always like age perfectly well, but I rewatched this from 2011 and the rotoscope work that they do, they, cause they do do some, uh, 3d work to create that perfect blackness. Yes. Um, yeah. And so there's, there's rotoscoping that's done to it. 
but it it does not like look 10 years old it looks no it looks, it, it looks so fantastic fresh. yeah it also helped that i think like even like the glowing teeth were real it wasn't like uh, in post they made them glow they were like mm-hmm. neon teeth that these 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 uh stunt actors well there's like one main stunt guy who was the main the main uh, monster performer. yeah and uh and it's just him working that that is you know wearing those gloves that like extend his arms and like running across the ground like some sort of hyena gorilla <laughs> it's great and and uh we can we can move into headcans in a second now because we're talking about like a little bit of like attack the block two yeah and and i was i just want to like make my platform known like don't take attack the block two too far in in bombasty that you forget to like give give me some practical monsters <laughs> But we can talk about uh, briefly about Attack the Block Two, and and I just would love to hear. Hmm. We can talk a little bit about like there's there's no news about what it's going to be about. We do know John Boyega is in it, yep. so Moses is returning, mm-hmm. um, and Joe Cornish is directing it again. And so, what what in your opinion should happen or could happen? So this has not been an especially spoilery podcast, so I don't want to try to give too much away about the movie with my head cannon. But I do think that okay. I do agree with you that going too big might be a mistake. So even though I do think that this invasion is happening everywhere, I think that if it became like a global problem immediately, like if that happens in the first half of the movie, ooh, you run the risk of, you know, jumping the shark a little bit. Because what made this work so well were the inter- weirdly enough, as much as we complain about the human plots and monster movies, these actually work and they made them really interesting, you know? Yes. Um, so kudos to that. I do think that it needs to get bigger than the neighborhood, right? Because Attack the Block was specifically about this block. And now that we have sort of mm-hmm. we have sort of seen how Moses and his friends deal with it, they are now people who presumably exist outside of the block as well. And that is going to be the thing yeah. I think that um that's gonna be sort of one of the more fascinating things about this movie. Um, because like so much of Attack the Block the first was about um these like like what the interior lives of these people who were rendered invisible by their living on the block um you know meant for them and now it's sort of like what does it mean to be that person who is still an outcast within society not an outcast but sort of like someone who was looked down upon in society who knows a very profound and important truth about what's going on how do you how do you as a person with that knowledge um uh decide what to do next you know like do you just you know call up the bbc and be like hey um, you should, uh, look up or, um, <laughs> you know, I'm really curious whether or not, you know, it's been a decade. I'm not sure whether or not this is going to pick up immediately after the first one. Yeah. That's I, I was thinking through, I'm like, they actually can't like they they can't because John Boyega now he's, he's a, he's a full grown man. And, 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 uh, there's, there's no amount of makeup that's going to make him play uh, with a bigger, oh no, no, no. I've seen, uh, we've seen what Marvel can do for Michael Douglas. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> With a bigger budget, come bigger possibilities. Uh, but but I think it would be interesting to see uh, w- what they could come up with that makes the story happen. You know, mm. ten years later, that that still connects. But then also, like I think you nailed it, where it has to have that social commentary element to it that that grounded this movie so well. Um, and I think, in my opinion, it's got to be about mm, kids again yeah. as well. Like I I, th- I think that's part of what made this movie work so well was like was a a young story uh, or a story about youths it wasn't a, a young story it was a story about youths and it was like really good child acting mm. sold this movie um and i'd love to see that working with like 
Moses's character, either like him interacting with other youths or him interacting with a uh like a a, a sibling or and some other relative. I, I don't know if he'd be old enough to have a kid. That would be like that he can't play old enough to have like another 15 year old. Um, but, uh, <laughs> unless they want to age up John Boyega to be like possible. in his forties, uh, they're all possible. But I, I think as long as those two elements are in attack, okay. Three, as long as there's social commentary, kids and practical effect monsters, uh, I'm fine with the movie getting big. And like you said, going beyond mm. just their block, you know, their, their tower that they basically took the entire movie in and, and making it something of a grander scale that makes sense as a progression for the attack yeah, like if, <laughs> I will say, I would like to see, at the very least, um, a little, uh, a brief catch-up to see how the rest of London dealt with that night in particular. You know, like, take me to yeah. take me to a posh part of town and just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, how, how, what, what, did, did one of them land near the Queen's, you know, house? Like, how did, how did that work out? Ate the dogs. <laughs> Immediately. It's tragic. We just end the podcast there. Okay, so that brings this episode of The Real Canon to a close. If you liked what you heard, and we know you did, uh, please be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss a single show. Uh, We have new episodes coming out every Tuesday. Yep, and if this episode was your first time checking us out and you want to talk more about Attack the Block and Alien Films and John Boyega and all this stuff, you can check us out on social. We're posting there a lot. Um, We're posting extra stuff from each episode at at real cannon pod and so um while you're there if you want to talk to us or uh just send us to someone else who you think might like the show we'd love it yeah so get ready get hyped and we'll be back next week with more of the real cannon